Washington, D.C., this is on the ground. Under the pressure of extreme Republican gerrymandering and voter suppression around the country, activists demand federal voting rights legislation, and Democrats take the next steps to provide promised benefits for America's working families. If we are about protecting our democracy, then we need urgent action, not sometime action, not maybe we'll get around to it action, not but we'll think about it, action, not let's see what the other side has to say about it, action. It is about action right now. Right now. And in this month's episode of the F Word on Fascism, we speak to Professor Gerald Horn about mounting threats from right-wing violence, censorship, and conspiracy theories in the United States. We may be on the path to having this one-party dictatorship For years to come, already we know that the Democratic and Republican Party represents two wings of capital, but I guess that's not sufficient. They want only one wing of capital to prevail, and that's the path on which we're now trotting. Welcome to On the Ground, ground onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averam. Well, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy spoke on the House floor for more than eight hours from 8.39 p.m. on Thursday until after 5 a.m. on Friday in order to delay the vote on the Build Back Better Act, the Biden administration's signature law to spend $1.75 trillion over 10 years to expand health care, child and elder care, and combat the climate crisis. Both House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Progressive Caucus Chair Pramila Jayapal expressed confidence to reporters on Thursday that there were enough votes in the House to pass the law, though portions of it still may face opposition in the Senate from right-wing Democratic members Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema. While there was much wrangling over this social spending bill, assessments or scoring from the Congressional Budget Office, assurances that it will not hurt the nation's budget or spur inflation. Senator Bernie Sanders took to the Senate floor on Thursday to point out that there are not such requirements for the $778 billion annual military budget, which will be nearly $8 trillion over 10 years, more than four times the size of the Build Back Better Act. Day after day here on the floor of the Senate and back in their states, Many of my colleagues talk to the American people about how deeply concerned they are about the deficit and the national debt. They tell us that we just don't have enough money to expand Medicare, to cover dental care for seniors, to cover hearing aids, to cover eyeglasses. We just don't have enough money to do what every other major country on earth does, and that is guaranteed paid family and medical leave at a time when hundreds of thousands of bright young people are unable to afford a higher education and millions are struggling with student debt. Uh, My colleagues tell us that we just don't have enough money to provide two years of free tuition at community colleges. 
when we have over 500,000 Americans sleeping out on the streets, including a few blocks away from the nation's capital. We just don't have enough money to build the low-income and affordable housing this country needs. And at a time when the scientists are telling us that we face an existential threat in terms of climate change, we are told that we just don't have enough money to transform our energy system away from fossil fuel and create a planet that will be healthy and habitable for our kids and future generations. Just don't have enough money. Yet today, the U.S. Senate will begin consideration of an annual defense budget that cost $778 billion. $778 billion for one year. And that is $37 billion more than President Trump's last defense budget and $25 billion more than what President Biden requested. And by the way, all of this money is going to an agency, the Department of Defense, that continues to have massive cost overruns year after year, wasting enormous amounts of money, and is the only major governmental agency in the federal government not to successfully complete an independent audit. Now, isn't it remarkable how even as we end the longest war in our nation's history, the war in Afghanistan, concerns about the deficit and the national debt seem to melt away under the influence of the military-industrial complex. Sanders added that this nearly $8 trillion in spending does not include another $2 trillion passed in legislation for what he called corporate welfare to supposedly compete with China. In front of the White House, more than 200 people were arrested on Wednesday during protests demanding federal voting rights legislation. A new New York Times analysis estimates that Republican state legislatures across the country have gerrymandered state voting districts in such an extreme way that they are already poised to flip at least five districts to Republican from Democrat for the 2022 and 2024 elections. Several female pastors were among the first to speak. My name is Reverend Dr. Rebecca Stitt. All right. I'm the pastor of St. Peter's African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church, located in Cleveland, Ohio. I came out here because I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. They knew what John Lewis has done. They knew how he had been beaten just because of the right to vote. But yet we got members sitting in Congress right now with deaf ears. Mark Meadows was his best friend, Republican. Mitch McConnell knew him. Grassley knew him. But yet they got deaf ears. I remember the Civil Rights Movement. 
I remember what folk went through. And it's a shame that we've got to come here and do it all over again 50 years later. So I want you all to shout with your highest voices that we will vote. We want our vote. We want our vote. We want our right to vote. We want our right to vote. As an example of what is happening nationally, Houston Public Media recently covered a meeting in Galveston, Texas, where the county commissioners adopted a new voting map that will likely eliminate the only black and non-white county commissioner in that county, which is 45% non-white. More on voter suppression later in the show on the F word on fascism with Professor Gerald Horn. Demonstrators also rallied at the White House on Thursday to continue the demand that Biden keep his promise to the immigrant community to provide a pathway to citizenship for millions of undocumented workers in the United States. This is an organizer for the TPS Alliance, an organization representing families living under temporary protected status. She spoke before three large wooden crosses with two men in mock crucifixion. I think it is so important that we should all be understanding what's going on at our borders. What's going on with migrants being detained and what is going on when we're talking about the denial of vaccinations to these people. We're talking about you can go to your local CVS pharmacy right now, fill out a paper and get vaccinated, right? And we're talking about the denial of these human rights. We have the privilege to be vaccinated and we have children dying who cannot get vaccinated because they are being denied their rights. In D.C., students at Howard University ended their nearly five-week protest with an undisclosed agreement that they said met their demands for safer, healthy, and more affordable housing, as well as more transparency from the university's administration. The protesters held a press conference Monday, and Channing Hill is one of the student leaders who spoke. We spent 33 days challenging the Howard University administration. We spent 33 days saying that that not only did our lives matter, that our voices matter, and our concerns matter. We spent 33 days affirming and fighting for the first class housing that Reverend Jesse Jackson said we were entitled to. We came, we saw, we declared, and we won. We won for Howard students. We won for Howard University, both historic Howard and the future Howard. And we won for our community. And finally, in culture and media, away from the streets and in the suites, author Mark Robert Rank gave a talk this week about how we misunderstand poverty. Chantel James has more. The American Humanist Center for Education hosted author Mark Robert Rank for a conversation debunking common poverty myths. Rank's book, Poorly Understood, What America Gets Wrong About Poverty, launched a conversation about how misconceptions about how widely poverty affects people serve to further entrench us in unjust systems. He talked about who benefits from these myths. Uh, the first group, at least in my opinion, to come to mind, would be politicians who have routinely used these myths to score political points. 
So we can go back a long ways, but Ronald Reagan did that. Bill Clinton did that. Donald Trump did that and many others as well. Using these myths to portray the poor as takers and not makers has appealed to the conservative segment of America's voting population. Second, the myths provide the justification for the continuation of the status quo of rising inequality. So the myths basically suggest that nothing needs to be done to address poverty because it's the result of individual failure. While those at the top deserve all their wealth and income that come their way, this is the idea of a meritocracy. What the myths do is they serve to divide and stigmatize people, particularly with regards to race. A question and answer session later in the talk gave the audience the opportunity to seek Rank's perspective on a variety of issues related to poverty in America. For On the Ground, this is Chantal James. And Melvin Deal, founder of the African Heritage Drummers and Dancers here in D.C., was honored in a rousing memorial on November 16th. During the three-hour service at Union Temple in Southeast D.C., the choir loft was filled with African drummers and dancers, and many from the Pan-African community offered tributes to Deal's cultural and community work over more than five decades. He died at the age of 78 on September 21st. This July, when the African Heritage Drummers and Dancers performed at the Kennedy Center, Deal invited members of the audience up on the stage to join in dancing. Now, this one we're about to do. It's called I see Yungo. I see you dancing. And those are headlines and happenings. Stay with us. I used to live in Selma, Alabama for 10 years. Make some noise if you know a little something about the role that Selma played in the history of voting rights. And so a couple of hundred people in Selma walked on the bridge. They faced their fears, and because they did so, they changed the course of this country. Don't tell me what a couple of hundred folks 
can and cannot do. We've seen it in our history, and I know we got more than a couple of hundred out here today. We got power. Somebody say, we got power. And so in this power, in spite of all the fears, in spite of the announcements that they're about to do, telling us that we're about to get up, we stand here in our power because we are willing to put ourselves, our freedom, our lives, our bodies on the line for our voting rights. And we will always meet that challenge. Now, there might come a day where we let the fears get in our way. There might come a day where we let these announcements and these officers out here with their weapons and, and their tape and all that, when we let them scare us away. But guess what? Today is not that day. There might come a day where we let people tell us that you can't beat the filibuster, you can't get the president to take action, you don't have that kind of power. That day may come where we believe that, but guess what? Today is not that day. There may come a day where we fall short of our responsibility, of our role in this historic moment to build on everything that our ancestors have done in the past. That day may come, but guess what? Today is not that day. So I need you to put a fist up in the air right now and say, I am a freedom fighter. Say, I am a freedom fighter. Let's go say, I am a freedom fighter. I love y'all. Which way is the black for this matter? And next. We have Rob Weissman, the president of Public Citizen. Rob. Brothers and sisters, we know that the freedom to vote is a sacred right. But it's also the key to what we need for a kind and decent and just society. I want you to engage in a little back and forth with me. For health care for all, we need the freedom to vote. To deal with inequality, we need the freedom to vote. For housing for all, we need the freedom to vote. For climate justice, we need the freedom to vote. To make sure everybody can join a union, we need the freedom to vote. Yeah. For clean water, we need the freedom to vote. To have a just and decent and fair society, we need the freedom to vote to make sure that our children can live. We need the freedom to vote. To take down Big Pharma and deal with drug prices, we need the freedom to vote. For equality, we need the freedom to vote. For kindness and decency, we need the freedom to vote. For justice, we need the freedom to vote. For justice, we need the freedom to vote. For justice, we need freedom to vote for justice we need the freedom to vote brothers and sisters it is an honor to be with you in this struggle not if when soon we are going to win 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 thank you thank you rob we need the freedom to vote and next and now, from the front lines of this movement in Georgia, we have Elder Jane Thomas, one of the many sisters in the clergy who are here today, part of our African American Ministers Leadership Conference. Elder Thomas. 
No more excuses. No more excuses. Our voting right is being attacked. If we stand firm declaring that we will recapture what is already ours, no one has given us anything. We just come to take back what is already ours. So therefore we stand firm. We stand committed. We stand undetermined because we have come to receive what is already ours. The vote is being attacked and we are here to take it back right now as we stand on these grounds. We will not leave our vote here. We're going to take it back right now, today. Thank you, Elder Thomas. And next we have Charlie Carter, the leader of the democracy and pulling together the labor movement, the civil rights movement, the environmentalist movement, all to fight for voting rights. Charlie Carter. Thank you. Thank you everybody for coming out here today. We started coming out here in August and here we are three months later and there's been no movement. But it also occurred to me today that it's about a year ago at this time we started seeing the next the newest wave of voter suppression laws come out of the states in response to the to the November 2020 election. We are almost a year later and there has been no movement of voting rights. That's not right. It's been six months since the before the People Act was passed. We came out and warned our leaders that this was an important time back then, six months ago, that we needed them to take immediate, urgent action to protect the right to vote. That ain't right. We came out here a couple months ago and the Freedom to Vote Act was filibustered. And we came out here and we stood outside the White House and we said, President Biden, this is your Lyndon Johnson moment. Use your office to make, to protect our democracy. As, Re as Bishop William Barber said, this is not a black issue. It's not a brown issue. It's not a young issue. It's an America issue because voting rights is the cornerstone of a democracy. And if we are about protecting our democracy, then we need urgent action, not sometime action, not maybe we'll get around to it action, not, not but we'll think about it, action, not let's see what the other side has to say about it, action. It is about action right now. Right now. We have declared war in a shorter time to protect our democracy. What is it if we are not at war for our democracy right now when people's rights to vote, their most fundamental right, is being stripped away systematically in an organized, well-funded way. We cannot wait. There's no more excuses. President Biden, if you don't know the way to the White House, there's 
away. Come outside. Walk down to the Capitol the same way you did for the bipartisan infrastructure bill. Because there is no more bipartisan issue than the right to vote in America. Voting rights now. That was Charlie Carter of Democracy Initiative. Elder Jane Thomas of Atlanta, Rob Weissman of Public Citizen, and Cliff Albright of Black Voters Matter, speaking Wednesday, November 17, 2021, at the White House, as 200 people were arrested while protesting for federal legislation to beat back rampant gerrymandering and other voter suppression laws being passed around the country by Republicans. This is On the Ground. Stay with us. What you wanted us to be We are what we are That's the way It's going to be If you don't know You can't educate us Or no equal opportunity Talking about my freedom People This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. I'm Esther Ivarum. This week, the far-right Trump right-hand man, Steve Bannon, turned himself in after being indicted by a federal grand jury for contempt of Congress for failing to testify about what he knows and his involvement in the January 6th attack on the Capitol, an attempt to stop the certification of the 2020 election. Also this week, Representative Paul Gosar named by organizers of that day's rally leading to the attack, was censured by Congress for posting an animated video depicting his murder of Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York and dueling with a sword against President Biden. Well, here to discuss these and other developments for this month's episode of The F Word on Fascism is On the Ground's geopolitical analyst, Gerald Horn, professor of African-American studies and history at the University of Houston and the author of more than three dozen books, including White Supremacy Confronted, U.S. Imperialism and Anti-Communism versus the Liberation of Southern Africa from Rhodes to Mandela. Welcome back to the show, Gerald. Thank you. Well, in the more than six years since we've been doing these segments on fascism, we've moved from issues like corporate control over elections, politicians, and certainly the economic life and environmental degradation, not only in this country, but around the world, to what feels like now a new era of more overt political violence from the right, certainly on January 6th, but also directed at school boards and elected officials around the country now, and even what might be called the violence, the erasure of truth, the erasure of your trade history, with calls from some on the right for book burning. But we'll get to that eventually. But I want to just start with your top line take on the U.S. and fascism right now in this country for an update on the F word. Well, it's quite perilous. It's quite dangerous. Recall that a few days ago, we discussed the elections and we pointed to the gubernatorial race in Virginia, where so-called critical race theory became a campaign issue, where a novel by Toni Morrison, the late Nobel laureate, Beloved, became an issue. 
And that represents a very troubling transition. What I mean is that historically, the Black community has been used as a kind of whipping boy by right-wing politicians. Recall Ronald Wilson Reagan invoking the so-called welfare queen, a Black woman who supposedly was cheating the government out of funds, and George H.W. Bush invoking Willie Horton, the alleged Black rapist of yore, and of course, the current occupant of the White House, Mr. Biden, when he first entered politics, he was demonizing Black children with regard to the busing issue. And so I think it's an interesting devolution that we move from the Black woman to the Black male alleged rapist to Black children to now Black intellectuals. And it's not just Black intellectuals like Toni Morrison. It's the idea, as you suggested, that you're not allowed to tell the truth with regard to teaching our children. And so with regard to Arbery or Jacob Blake and and Kenosha or Michael Brown and Ferguson or Trayvon Martin, you have to see all of this as a coincidence. In other words, there has been a demonizing of the idea of conspiracy theorists, and now we're all supposed to be coincidence theorists. We're supposed to think that none of these killings and none of these outrages and transgressions result from some systemic factors, that they're all contrary to our so-called founding ideals. But I'm afraid to say that it's even worse than that, because if you followed the elections a few days ago, you might have noted the rise and the election of these so-called constitutional sheriffs who take upon themselves the right in their minds to decide what's legal and what's not. The right-wing Supreme Court is not enough for them. They're going to decide on their own. In the L.A. County Sheriff's Office, you have, as we speak, basically gangs who make a specialty of terrorizing a black and brown youth. You also made reference to, or at least suggested, that the Republican Party increasingly is feeling that it has the right to use violence, be it at a school board meeting, be it with regard to poll workers, which is causing many poll workers to retire uh, prematurely. And if you know anything about U.S. history, you'll recognize that this is wholly consistent with U.S. history. The historian uh, Joanne Freeman wrote a book a few years ago called the field of blood, the violence in Congress and the road to the Civil War, where she talked about all the violence that was inflicted upon congresspersons in the run-up to the U.S. Civil War, which makes what Congressman Paul Gosar of Arizona has done with regard to anime and AOC and Joseph Biden seem tamed by comparison. All of our audience is familiar with the bloody history of political assassinations in this country, from Martin Luther King to Malcolm X to Kennedy brothers to Abraham Lincoln to William McKinley, attempts on the life of both Franklin Delano Roosevelt and Harry S. Truman. And I think that with regard to this F-word segment, one of the points we should continue to stress is that A, it has a mass basis. That is to say, there is a mass basis for fascism in the United States of America, which should not be surprising when you consider that genocide was inflicted in order to, quote, settle, unquote, this country in the first instance. 
And secondly, there have been certain blunders by our friends on the left. Uh, For example, I recall when the socialist camp was decomposing in the late 1980s and early 1990s, the conclusion that was drawn by many who considered themselves to be radical was that the United States had these strong democratic traditions, which is one of the reasons why the United States did not decompose at that particular moment in time, which is shocking when you consider that the Voting Rights Act only came in 1965, and it came after, once again, a bloodiness of a horrific nature. And given the history of lynching in this country, it's it's shocking that radicals would talk about a democratic tradition in this country. But there you are, and here we are, facing the gory and dim prospect of the F word being actualized, I'm afraid. Well, one of the the facts that I took away from this week is that the ability of this white base that you're talking about, the white base of the Republican Party, and we need to talk about like, when do we actually get to call the Republican Party something else? Like, when do we actually get to label them as like American fascist party? But we can talk about that later. But it seems to me that part of the ability of the white base of the Republican Party and the Republican Party leaders to execute this violence that we're seeing is that they keep telling themselves different stories about it that justify in their minds the right to commit this kind of violence. And we see this in the stories that they tell themselves about why these vigilantes were able to kill Ahmad Arbery, why the 17-year-old Kyle Rittenhouse was able to kill peaceful protesters out marching in protest of police violence. And so It reminds us that when we discuss Exterminate All the Brutes by Raoul Peck, you know, he talked about how in the founding of this country, there were stories told to justify that genocide. So when I was listening to Paul Gosar on the floor of the House on Wednesday, he told a story, uh, not apologizing for this video, about how this video was really about what he called the illegal aliens coming to the United States. And and in addition to all these other issues that there, he brought up, he wanted to tell us the story that the video was not about violence against Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, but it was about illegal aliens. And so I just want us to play here a little clip of that as our first example of the stories that people tell themselves. The cartoon directly contributes to the understanding and the discussion of the real-life battle resulting from this administration's open border policies. This body is considering passage of Mr. Biden's reckless socialist Marxist $4.9 trillion spending bill that provides $100 billion for amnesty to tens of millions of illegal aliens already in this country. No matter how much the left tries to quiet me, I will continue to speak out against amnesty for illegal aliens. Okay, so could you hear that? Yes, I could. Okay. Well, I I think that the Gosar commentary reminds us that those who would seek to implement fascism on these shores are following an ancient playbook, a playbook that's grounded in either lies or self-deception, depending upon how you look at it. That is to say, how can anyone in their right mind speak of Joseph R. Biden as seeking to implement a socialist agenda? This is a lie, or perhaps it's self-deception. 
But this is not unusual. If you look at the history of fascism, the very concept of Aryanism, which helped to propel fascism in Eastern and Central Europe in the 1930s, was fundamentally a lie. If you look at the recent documentary by Tucker Carlson of Fox News, where he speaks of the January 6th insurrectionists as not being insurrectionists, and actually it was a false flag operation, where they were basically innocent patriots. If you look at the history of apartheid, for example, the white rulers convinced themselves that those who were seeking democratic rights were fundamentally terrorists. This was either self-deception, more pointedly, it was a lie. If you look at my previous reference to Ronald Wilson Reagan invoking the so-called welfare queen, the black woman who cheats the U.S. government out of our hard-earned tax dollars, that was a lie, or more charitably, you could say he was engaged in self-deception. Whatever the case, it's very difficult to deal with these narratives that are based upon lies and self-deception. No, it's so interesting that you mentioned the Tucker Carlson documentary because it flies in the face of the facts that we already know. And perhaps maybe that's the purpose, to obscure what we already know. The January 6th Select Committee has already determined that there was a a very high-level operation that day uh, directed from the highest levels of the White House to basically try to not have the election certified. There were numerous meetings, many urgings to Vice President Mike Pence to not carry forward his ceremonial duty to certify the election. So this idea of lies and spin is very much a part of it. And I I guess the the question now seems to be whether this attempted insurrection, uh, some people calling it an attempted coup, will actually be punished at the highest levels, meaning former President Trump What do you think? Do you think that if they are not fully held accountable for what they try to do, all of his people, all of his minions around him, including Steve Bannon, that this is just basically going to be a practice that they'll use to fully implement their attempt the next time? Well, history tells us that failed coups oftentimes lead to successful coups. And I would add the footnote that this is particularly the case when the perpetrators are not punished. That means they're fundamentally incentivized to try it again and to try it again until they're successful. And then we already see as we speak that the coup plotters, including Mr. Trump and his advisor, Steve Bannon, are trying to run off the clock. As they see it, there will be a new Congress being sworn in by January 2023. This Benny Thompson committee will be basically defunct, along with, if they're lucky, Congresswoman Liz Cheney of Wyoming as well, who's just been basically rebuffed and repudiated by her Wyoming Republican Party. And that means that we may be on the path to having this one-party dictatorship for years to come, Already, we know that the Democratic and Republican Party represents two wings of capital, but I guess that's not sufficient. They want only one wing of capital to prevail, and that's the path on which we're now trotting. 
Well, I wanted to talk about that a little bit because just this week, you know, we have, you know, two pretty big demonstrations around voting rights. And one of the things that's going to almost ensure that we just have this one party rule is the fact that the Democrats, though they have controlled the White House, the House and the Senate, they have failed to pass voting rights uh, protections for their own base. The For the People Act included a provision to outlaw partisan gerrymandering, for example, And we know that already uh, since the last census was counted, Republican lawmakers in several states have already further gerrymandered their districts and their states. And a report was released basically saying that just based on gerrymandering alone, that the Republicans are set to retake the House and that these patterns of gerrymandering will ensure Republican control of the House for the next decade. And so the Democrats' failure to pass this legislation that's really in their own self-interest is really pretty suicidal, it seems. And they've also failed to make good on many of the promises around reining in racist police terror, uh, to respect the rights of immigrants, provide a path to citizenship, all these things that really galvanize the electorate in what seemed like a last gasp attempt to get the Democrats to show that they could be accountable to the majority of the people in this country, get back to their supposed, you know, allegiance to the working class. It's just looking very bleak on a lot of different levels, uh, in addition to what you were just talking about in terms of the willingness of the right and the far right to use violence in this moment. Well, we all know that the Democratic Party is heterogeneous. It includes folks on the left, such as Cori Bush of St. Louis and AOC of Queens. It goes all the way to the right with Manchin and Sinema. And even there, you have to draw a distinction because Manchin comes from a state, West Virginia, that Trump won by 40 points. Sinema comes from Arizona, where she ran against Martha McSally, a Republican, and won by a similar margin as her colleague, Democratic Senator Mark Kelly, who also ran against Martha McSally, yet he has not been posturing like Sinema. And I think that there is a fear amongst the Democratic Party leadership that if they make a carve out and weaken the filibuster with regard to voting rights, it'll come back to bite them. For example, they made a carve out with regard to weakening the filibuster with regard to high court judges. And that helped to give us Brett Kavanaugh, for example. So ultimately, my point of view is that it comes back, (laughs) I'm afraid to say, uh, to this electorate, the white right, which is grounded in settler colonialism, which was a class collaborationist project from day one, involving collaboration between the 1% and the 99% of European ancestry. And that is the stumbling block that we have not been able to overcome. And I'm speaking to you from the state of Texas, where voter suppression has been made into a high art, and it's unclear how we're going to be able to reverse that. On that note, we're going to take a brief break, and we'll be right back. This is On the Ground. Stay with us.
This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. I'm Esther Averam, in conversation with Professor Gerald Horn for this month's episode of the F Word on Fascism. And Gerald, it's really hard to know how the this base of the Republican Party will turn away from this march toward fascism as long as Donald Trump is the head of the party. There was also news from him this week because apparently back in March, he gave an interview to ABC News where he basically defended the people who are chanting Hang Mike Pence during the January 6th insurrection. So let's hear that and then I'll get your comments. Are you worried about him during that, that siege? Were you worried about no, his safety? No, I thought he was well protected and I, I had heard that he was in good shape. Mm-hmm. No, because... Uh, I had heard it was in very good shape, but but no. So you I heard those chants. That was terrible. I mean, was, you know, the he could have. Well, the people were very angry. We're saying hang my because pants. it's it's common sense. John, it's common sense that you're supposed to protect. How can you, if you know a vote is fraudulent, right? Yeah. How can you pass on a fraudulent vote to Congress? All right. So that's Trump talking to ABC this year, and. We're talking about lies and we're talking about the right's ability to not only lie, but to continually to whip up this base uh, that you're talking about with lies. And what is your thought on the impact of right wing media in this process? Well, obviously, they're the orchestrators, although it seems to me that they're appealing to an audience who wants to hear the lies that they're peddling. Uh, For example, many of us are not seduced by Fox News. We recognize that it's right-wing spin and propaganda. Uh, Others who consume it on a daily basis obviously are not convinced. And then, of course, there's One American News, which makes Fox News seem like a version of Pacifica. So certainly this right-wing media is a problem. And what happens is that their tropes and their ideas oftentimes uh, infiltrate and infect the centrist media, the newspapers, uh, Washington Post, New York Times. Of course, if you're going to be less charitable, uh, you would not say that they're being infiltrated. You're saying that they're uh, equally culpable. But in any case, it's obviously rather difficult in this country for people who are working jobs and having families to raise to try to sift the truth out of the many lies that they're now being fed. Well, also, you know, there is so much about fascist right-wing violence that is coming to a head in the news this week. Also going on right now is the civil trial of the white supremacists who attacked and killed anti-racist protesters in Charlottesville in 2017. And I know you remember our conversations during that time. And it sounds like that trial has turned into a full-blown like Nazi performance art. Uh, But perhaps the biggest impact of right-wing media is in fueling conspiracy theories. This week, far-right show host Alex Jones, you know, was just found guilty of defamation because of the lies he broadcast claiming that the Sandy Hook massacre of 20 schoolchildren and six adults in Newtown, Connecticut in 2012 did not happen. You know, he was saying this constantly on his show. And he was claiming that the parents and people in the community on TV were actors. And so this conspiracy led to years of harassment and death threats against already grieving families. 
so that happened. And, and of course, including, so of course, the big lie about the 2020 election, which you know is accepted by like 70% of those identifying themselves as Republicans is the major big lie or conspiracy theory, you know, circulating in the country right now. I don't know if you saw this video, uh, a far right Turning Point USA event last month in Idaho, an event which, by the way, was about, quote unquote, exposing critical race theory. A man in the audience asked when it will be okay to start killing people. And this is a short clip of that. At this point, we're living under a corporate and medical fascism. This is tyranny. When do we get to use the guns? No, and I'm, and, I, and I'm not, that's not a joke. I'm not saying it like that. I mean, literally, where's the line? How many elections are they going to steal before we kill these people? So that was an unidentified man speaking at this last month at, in a crowd whipped up by Charlie Kirk of Turning Point USA, who, by the way, is a paid Newsweek contributor. So all, I say all that and present all that to ask you about the connections in history, you know, between fascism and conspiracy theories, fringe groups and cults. And I ask you, as you sit in Texas, where, you know, members of QAnon have been gathering to await the return or resurrection of JFK Jr., who was killed in a plane crash more than a decade ago or more than two decades ago. Uh, but they believe that he is alive and well and will help reinstate Donald Trump as president. Well, as is well known, there has been a close historic connection, not only between the occult and the rise of fascism, particularly in Italy and especially Germany in the 1930s. Indeed, there are documentaries that you can find on Netflix about this subject, including the occult history of the Third Reich. And also, it's important to note that their descendants here in North America have taken a similar turn, particularly with this fascination, which is mostly fabricated, of so-called Norse mythology, that is to say the mythology that grows out of Northern Europe. And it's also important to note that there has been a close connection historically between organized religion, particularly the Catholic Church and the rise of fascism, particularly in Mussolini's Italy in the 1920s, and, and indeed with regard to German fascism in the 1930s. Now, we of the United States should not be shocked or surprised by the fact that the right wing globally, not least in North America, has descended into mythology. If you look at the history of this country, look at the Thanksgiving myth, or what should be called Thanksgiving, which constructs this whole mythology that helps to rationalize and justify the dispossession of the indigenous population and settler colonialism, or even the July 4th mythology, which tends to rationalize further the dispossession and genocide of the Native American population insofar as a central reason for the revolt against British rule was the desire to break the British edict, which was seeking to restrain real estate speculators like George Washington from moving further west across the Appalachian Mountains, coming into conflict with Native Americans and expecting London to pick up the tab. 
not to mention that that newly seized land would then be stocked with the bodies of enslaved Africans. So we, above all, should not be surprised by this turn of events, this descent into the occult, this descent into uh, mythology. And also, we also know that racism itself has roots in mythologizing. Uh, After all, it's a concept that does not stand up to science, to put it mildly, but indeed is quite congruent with a kind of supernatural thinking, which brings us, of course, to today's right wing, particularly QAnon, which has representatives in Congress, I'm afraid to say, in the form of Marjorie Taylor Greene and Laura Boebert and others too numerous to mention. And the folks in Washington, D.C. in particular, I'm sure, are familiar with the Pizzagate uh, escapade of a few years ago when supposedly this man gets the story about the Democrats uh, somehow acting as bloodthirsty pedophiles at a pizza shop in Washington, D.C., and he comes to Washington and shoots up the place. So what's even more remarkable is that as the right wing descends into these various conspiracy theories, like the JFK theory that you mentioned with regard to Texas, they're making it virtually illegal with these laws uh, seeking to repudiate critical race theory. They're making it virtually illegal to speak about racism in systemic terms. That is to say, we're supposed to believe, as noted, that Sandra Bland and Jacob Blake and Michael Brown and Trayvon Martin, all of this is coincidence. So in other words, they become conspiracy theorists and they expect us to be coincidence theorists. <laughs> right. So we are kind of running out of time and I, I want you to be able to, you know, give your own thoughts on maybe some things that I didn't ask you. But when I think about the you know, the example in Germany, for example, you know, I've been thinking about the fact that uh, given a choice, (laughs) it's obvious that the ruling class in this country, the corporate class, these big corporations that always want uh, socialism for what do you call it? They want to privatize profits and socialize everything. (laughs) Right, right. Like socialize income in terms of all the tremendous amount of money they receive ever since the 2008 crash, you know, the types of free money that only corporations and banks could get. And certainly during the pandemic, the amounts of money that they received in terms of socialized income, right? But then they want to privatize the profit. So it seems to me that it's it's definitely true that people like Elon Musk, uh, who, who basically insulted uh, Bernie Sanders this week saying, oh, I didn't even realize you were still alive. Um, but people like that, obviously, it seems to me they don't they don't have any problems with this turn toward fascism in this country because they've been able to already basically rape the economy and the society to get so much from it while they uh, dream of absconding to Mars with their riches. And they definitely don't want to have to see a socialist society rise because the people will demand that we have what we've earned, what we've worked for, that we built this country. But it seems like in addition to all these turns in terms of violence, in terms of the theft of, of a fair electorate, 
the failure of the Democratic Party to deliver uh, for the people that we also have the specter that the the ruling class here, they are happy with this turn toward fascism. Well, with regard to Elon Musk, given the fact that he was born in apartheid South Africa before migrating to the United States, uh, we shouldn't be overly surprised by some of the things he's been saying and doing. And likewise, for the other billionaire, Peter Thiel, who he's feuding with, who was an early funder of Facebook, uh, he too had roots in apartheid South Africa. So uh, this seems to me is more than coincidence. Now, with regard to fascism, historically, the ruling class has opted for fascism in the context of a surging left such as the Social Democrats and the Communists in Germany, Germany, ditto for Italy. If you look at Chile, the election of Salvador Allende, a socialist backed by communists. South Africa, for example, where you had the ANC in alliance with the South African Communist Party. Now, that does not mean that fascism always follows a prearranged route, but it is useful to note in that context that as far as I can tell, there's no surging left-wing party in the United States that's trying to claim power, but that only makes this march towards fascism that we now espy even more troubling and complicated. Well, I've been speaking with our geopolitical analyst, Gerald Horn, professor of history and African-American studies at the University of Houston, and the author of more than three dozen books, including, as I mentioned, White Supremacy Confronted, U.S. Imperialism and Anti-Communism Versus the Liberation of Southern Africa from Rhodes to Mandela. Thank you for joining me today, Gerald. Thank you. And that's it for today's show. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. Special thanks to Chantel James, Ben Zenovich, and Professor Gerald Horn for their contributions to today's show. You can check out all of our current and past shows on the website we maintain, onthegroundshow.org. And you can reach out to us and support us there as well. You can also like the show at On the Ground Show on Facebook and Twitter. And thank you to all our supporters on patreon.com forward slash on the ground show. You can also follow me on Instagram at Esther Ivera. Our podcast on the ground with Esther Ivera is on all your podcast platforms, our official podcast, social media pages and website all have a protest sign with green lettering that says on the ground. The music we played this hour included Babylon System by Bob Marley, What Rough Beast by Burnt Sugar, and our theme music is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. I'm Esther Averam. Until next time, take good care and keep raising your voice. Peace. Please let me borrow your ear for a few more seconds and ask you to support On the Ground in our year-end fund drive. You can go to patreon.com forward slash on the ground show. And we post all of our shows there and also some exclusive content. And, you know, they have a new once a year function now. So since the smallest gift is $3 a month and they give a 10% discount for an annual gift, you can just make my day for just $33 for the whole year. Isn't that something? So for just $33, you could just make my day. 
I would love to get more Patreon subscribers. I see some people have thousands of subscribers and I think maybe because I raise money for Pacifica, people think that I'm raising it for me or that I can get paid by Pacifica and I'm on a lot of Pacifica stations. But this setup that I've created is something so that I can create compensation for myself and, and actually continue doing the show, which is very difficult on a volunteer basis with uh, volunteers and you know, just uh, our energy until we're, we burn out, right? So uh, patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. And also you can give on PayPal, uh, Patreon's preferred, so I can get you all the exclusive content and you can get a link, you get a link right in your email, your email box every week with all the shows. And of course, this is tax deductible if you're doing your year end giving and you know you're looking for uh, a charity to donate to. We are a 501c3 and you can donate and take it off on your taxes. So do that, please support the show and I'd appreciate you so much. Oh, and you can also go to the website onthegroundshow.org and if you click on the donate tab, it will tell you all ways to give. You know, some people are old fashioned, they want to send a check. We can. We can do a check. We can do other types of payments as well. All right. All right. Bye. Peace.